You had a terrible disease that made you outcast, untouchable, required you to go about in mourning and grief. But that's what we were. I want to talk at you tonight from Mark chapter 1, verse 40. This is Jesus healing the leper. Leprosy in the ancient Near East was not necessarily limited to the disease we know as leprosy and the various ways in which it's manifested. In the ancient Near East, leprosy was a term that really described a broad range of chronic skin diseases, varieties of funguses, a disease we would know as psoriasis, and sometimes psoriasis can be a very, very devastating thing in terms of a person's appearance and, and what it does to their psyche and how other people look at them um, and treat them if they don't understand literally the heartbreak of psoriasis. I was a pharmacist for many, many years and I dealt with a number of people and, and uh, unfortunately I wasn't a Christian at the time so I couldn't pray for them. But I would give them all sorts of expensive creams and ointments and salves and anti-inflammatory kinds of drugs and so forth to help soothe the symptomology and the effects that you would see on them. And the term leprosy included all these things and even obviously the very diseases of leprosy and the various forms of leprosy. In Leviticus chapters 13 through 15, you read about the regulations concerning this disease and concerning the people who had it. Uh, even your clothes could be infected and your house could be infected with a leprous kind of affliction, mold and so forth in the walls, or your clothes could be moldy and uh, hence they would have to be destroyed. They, could, they would tear your house down if uh, this mold or whatever the fungus was was not cleaned up or, or disappeared. Leprosy in the, the, the literal disease leprosy that you and I understand, Hansen's disease and some of the other kinds and varieties of leprosy was a disease that was absolutely from a Jewish mind incurable. If you had literal leprosy, you were the walking dead. Now, they couldn't distinguish between all these varieties of diseases. And so they would require anybody and everybody who was such afflicted to indeed go into mourning. And you were required to tear your clothes, rend your garments, your hair would be, be worn in a disheveled manner. You would have to wear a, a, a covering over your face that would cover up to this part, your upper lip. You are not allowed inside the city. You had to live at the, on the outside. 
couldn't be involved with family or friends. You were literally an outcast. And when you were walking along a road, if there were other people walking in your direction, you were required by the Mosaic Law to cry out, unclean, unclean, for a number of reasons. One, obviously, to warn people that you were a leper, because according to the Mosaic Law, if anyone touched you, they were rendered unclean and also would have to go through uh, various ceremonial cleansings, else they would be outcast also. They could not participate in the fellowship of the community of the people of God. This, uh, another reason for yelling unclean was to hopefully incite people to pray for them. Here's a, here's a poor person. Here's a, here's a person who is absolutely living a devastated, hopeless life. Pray for me. And so that... That, uh, that cry, unclean, unclean, not only would warn others, but also hopefully would incite prayers and compassion. The rabbis and the religious leadership in Israel, many would have nothing obviously to do with the leper. Uh, one rabbi wrote that um, if a leper was on the same street, and you were downwind of a leper within a hundred feet, if the wind was blowing, that would render you unclean. Another rabbi wrote that when he encountered a leper, he would throw stones at the leper to chase them away. You couldn't get within six feet of a person with this disease, leprosy. So you can understand the plight of these people who were so afflicted. They were literally the walking dead. They were the outcasts in the community. And they knew it. They were desperate people. And in our account here, we have such a man daring to approach Jesus. Now, presumably, he's heard about Jesus' miracles, he's maybe witnessed them some distance. And he is in hopes that maybe if Jesus would be willing, he could pronounce him clean. Now careful, I'm going to trick you here. I want you to read the passage with me. And I want you to see within this context because leprosy is a type or is symbolic of sin. That which we are all afflicted with, that which casts us out, makes us outcasts from the kingdom of God, which we must be cleansed from. Are you following me? And it's only the person who understands they're leprous. It's only the person who comes to grips with an understanding that they are outcast. It's that person who will come to Jesus and plead to be cleansed. Do you follow the picture here? I want to make another application in just a minute. But I want you to see this. A man with leprosy came
came to him, came to Jesus, and begged him on his knees. This guy is desperate. He's absolutely desperate. How many of us came to Jesus and begged him on our knees, save me, heal me, cleanse me? I remember the night I received Christ, I was on my knees. I was desperate. And I cried out. I said, I don't know what you want. I'm not exactly sure I know who you are. But I need you. Save me. Help me. Give me a second chance. That was my prayer. Give me a second chance. And I was on my knees when I prayed it. And since then, I've understood that I was a leper. <laughs> that though I believed in a God, that I professed that, I didn't know him, and I was outside of his community and outside of a relationship with him. I didn't know that until he opened my eyes and showed me. But I do remember one night in my desperation coming to Jesus. This leper doesn't really know who Jesus is. He has some understanding that he's an itinerant rabbi or teacher or maybe possibly has come from God, is doing miraculous things. He doesn't know for sure and doesn't understand his messiahship and the fact that he's God in the flesh. He doesn't have all the theological categories nailed down tight and fast. None of us did either. All we knew was we were drawn to Jesus. And we didn't have it all together. We didn't have all the theology straight. Most of our theology was pretty mixed up. But we knew that we were being drawn inextricably to Jesus. And somehow he could make a difference in our life. Somehow he could make things better. That was our hope. Am I right? Yes. He begged Jesus on his knees. If you are willing, you can declare me clean. I'm like, you're sharp. Pastor. Pastor material. <laughs> yeah. What's the word in the passage? Make. Make. Now, it was, the, it was the responsibility, it was the job of the local priest who was, in effect, not a healer, but a health inspector. That a person with a disease like this was to go to the local priest, and the local priest was to inspect the afflicted area and to see how it measured up with what the law required and so forth and he would either pronounce the person clean or unclean. He had no power to cleanse him, he had no power to heal him, only to pronounce him clean or unclean. This man knows that there's something different about Jesus. It's not just you can pronounce me clean, you can make me clean. Vast difference. If you are willing. Isn't that the big question all the time? I mean, there would probably be a person in this room that doesn't doubt that God is able. God is able to do these things. But lots of us question of whether or not he's actually willing to do them. 
God, are you, are you willing to heal my cancer? Are you willing to heal my son? Are you willing to bless my life in this area? Are you willing to... Do we have those questions? Do we not pray often with doubt, saying, if you're willing, and not really sure? <coughs> not really sure. Now, the Bible is full of categorical situations and statements about God's will that we can be absolutely sure of. True? Do you suppose that it's God's will that this congregation, as large as it is and as large as it continues to become, do you suppose that it is His will that this congregation be adequately shepherded? You think so? You believe that's His will? So I don't pray, God, if it's your will, bring me men and women that you've already gifted and equipped and put in place to help me shepherd this church. I already know it's his will. I'm saying, Lord, bring them. But there's other things that we question. We wonder whether they're his will. Is it God's will that any should perish? See, we have this dilemma with predestination and, you know, should we pray with people who are predestined? And, you know, that's, that's, a, that's a huge dilemma for a lot of people. I believe, from God's point of view, He has already predestined people to be saved. But He doesn't tell us who they are. Because He also says, along with that word, there's several passages in the New Testament that say, whosoever will come, I'll not cast away. And so you've got a little dilemma there. And people who are just stuck on the predestination thing say, well, there's so many predestined, so why should I even pray? Why should I even witness? Why should I even... You suppose it's God's will for us to witness? Absolutely. Why? Because he says it. He says, go tell people about me. Go preach the gospel. Go make disciples. He doesn't say, go and ask first and see if they're predestined. <laughs> Don't check their credentials. He says, just Go. I mean, he relieves us of that dilemma. And so we, we have to start saying, God, I believe that it's your will. I believe that it's your will that my life be full, that I walk in obedience, and I bring you glory. Right? Yes. Well, what about some of the other things? What about the cancers and the, and the problems with birth defects and, and things that are just beyond our capacity to deal with? And we, and we pray about nothing seems to happen and people die anyway. Is that God's will? Well, I have a theory about that. I can't nail it down hard and fast, but I have a theory. And I'm currently testing my theory. I've been testing it for some time. My theory is this. Let me give you an, let me give you an analogy. Who's ever been in the hospital? And you've had been in the hospital with an infection. I mean, they've had to hospitalize you before that, or maybe in the hospital you got one of those infections that hospitals are notorious for. You know what I'm talking about? 
Hospitals can be very unsafe places. <laughs> you go there to get your toe operated on and you come very close to dying of pneumonia or some resistant strain of some exotic bacteria. When they give you an IV of antibiotics in the hospital, do they just give you one shot and kind of send you on your way? No, they what? They stick that needle in there and they pump that stuff in round the clock, 24 hours a day, minimum seven to 10 days, right? Constant, constant attention. The nurses are always in there every 15 to 20 minutes to check on you to see how you're doing, right? If they're not in there, you're pushing the bell. <laughs> Do you get what I'm saying? It's in that environment where there's constant attention to the desperate need where healing more than likely occurs. Does that, does that make sense to you? Are you with me? Now let's take from, from that realm and let's move it over into the spiritual realm. Let's move it over into, into how efficacious really is prayer. Do we just sit idly or in, in incredible doubt saying, if you're willing, or do we go to work and we pray continuously, fervently, seriously, that God would bring about His healing grace in this situation, whatever it is. Here's my theory. My assumption is God wants to do all this stuff. God wants to do all this stuff. He wants to meet human needs. But we, with all of our theological categories and insecurities and fears and wonders and, and laziness, are not actually reaching out and embracing His healing grace. Just a theory. Just a theory. Try it. Try it. When you're in one of those situations, or if you're in one now, make it your top priority to pray. I mean, pour your heart out. Cry out to God. Get in your prayer closet and pray and pray and pray. We have a book we're going to use probably as the book of the month. And the title of it, I think, is so appropriate. Don't just stand there. Pray something. I think it's okay to assume God is willing. And if He isn't willing to do some particular thing the way we want Him to do it, I believe within the context of that ongoing, persistent prayer, He will make it obvious to us. Is it worth trying? Do mm -hmm. you have a question? I know you're just you're chomping at the bit here. Okay. Um, people may go ahead and die. People may go ahead and die, absolutely. And, and no amount of prayer may save them. No amount of prayer may save them, absolutely. And, uh, my uh, father for many years laid in bed with Parkinson's. Right. And I used to pray that, you know, God heal him. God didn't. And then I used to pray, God, 
let him die. I mean, he, he right. developed bed sores. He went from a man that was 210 pounds down to a man of about 90 pounds. 90 pounds, right. And uh, I, uh, he passed away, and I never could understand. This was before I was saved. I never could understand why God caused him to suffer. Uh, he was a truck driver and a mechanic, and, and he had never received the... the uh, he'd never received Christ in his life. And I... Uh, one day I walked into his, uh, he was in a rest home, and I walked in, I saw a Bible on his nightstand, and I was unsaved. I was raised in a Lutheran church, but I hadn't re received the relationship. And, um, and I just kind of observed it, and Dad's reading the Bible. really blew me away. And it wasn't until about two years ago we got to talk to my cousin, who was a Christian, and he said, uh, do you know your dad's saved? And I said, you know, I'd, I'd often wondered, and I often prayed that he was, but I, since I had become saved, I knew that my praying wouldn't, would not save him. Only he could save him. And he says, I know your dad was saved because uh, uh, I, we uh, prayed together and he uh, received Christ in his life. Now, had my prayers been met at that time, my dad would have died before he'd received Christ. I know today I will see my dad in heaven. And so I always go back to the scripture that God causes all things to work for good. That's right. For those that are called. That's right. And so when we see a child die, or when we see a tragedy that we, that we as humans judge as a tragedy, we need to look at it and go, yes, that sorrows me as a human, but God, I know you're in control, and I know you're causing this to work for good. I don't understand it yet. But someday in heaven, you'll explain it to me. That's right. I don't think any of us fully understand it. But I think we have to take a stand. And we have to say, <laughs> God, I believe you're willing. You're in control. You're willing. That's right. You love me. And you're concerned with my life. And I pray and pray and pray until that person, something happens. Either they die, or they get saved, or they get healed. I'm just, I pray. I have no other option except to do nothing. I don't know of any other answer. But my uh, basic assumption is God is willing. He cares for us. And He cares for everything that goes on in our life. And He is gracious and merciful and compassionate. Father suffered for a few years for a lifetime of eternity, Grace. He's in eternity now. Healed. Healed. So, again, I mean, you can go back and forth and back and forth, but I think the question that the leper poses to Jesus is if you're willing. And that's a dilemma for so many people in the church, I believe, today. God, I don't know if this is your will. I'm not talking about praying for a Cadillac or, a, you, know, a, you know, prosperity and health. I mean, the, the crazy stuff that sometimes goes on the television that passes for Christianity that I find very offensive and grievous. I'm talking about the real significant issues of life. I think that the Lord is willing, certainly, to lead us to a place of understanding 
and ultimately to a place where our lives, we come to peace. John, God has given you peace now for your dad. Wonderful. My dad received the Lord on his deathbed with his last dying gasp. I would pray continuously, God, don't let my father... I quit praying for his healing. I started praying, don't let him die, God, without knowing Jesus. And God was willing. And in several environments that I, I have participated in, I've been in hospital settings. I've been in rooms where, where there's desperate situations going on. I've been in homes where there are desperate situations. I've been in counseling sessions where it's just, it looks impossible. Where people are just kind of sitting around all just moping, don't know what to do. You've got to go into that situation and you've got to rally the forces. You've got to say, what are we all just sitting around for? Let's hold hands. Let's start praying. Get that, that family that's in problems. Get them on their knees. Lead them in prayer. Say, let's get down on our knees and we're going to pray. And we're not just going to pray for two minutes. We're going to pray through the night. See, I don't think there's a whole lot of people in the church praying through the night consistently like this. I think when we come up against horrible things, incredible, awesome odds, that we're not devoting ourselves to prayer like that. God gives us opportunity after opportunity after opportunity. Just a theory. <laughs> Just a theory. Try it out. If you're willing. The next sentence says what? Jesus says, get away from me, you leper. You didn't yell unclean, you filthy thing, you. Is that what he says? No, what does Mark say? Filled with revulsion? Filled with compassion. compassion. Oh, Jesus is moved at human needs and the desperation of our human condition. Remember how he wept over Jerusalem? Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how I've longed to gather you under my wings as a mother hen gathers her chicks. The Bible says it does not give God pleasure when the wicked perish. He grieves and weeps over those who perish. Filled with compassion. Filled with compassion for our human needs, our human condition. But most of all, our lostness. We're wandering around out there in the dark. Most of the human race wandering around in the dark. Filled with compassion. What's he do next? He reached out with his hand, touched the man, saying, I am willing, be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him, right? Now, I have another theory. I'm just full of theories tonight. I have another theory. I can't prove this categorically, but it occurred to me 
if the man is a leper, he is unclean, right? Ceremonial unclean. If Jesus touches him, what does that make Jesus? Ceremonially unclean. Can Jesus arbitrarily set aside the law? Absolutely not. He says, I have not come to what? Abolish the law, but to fulfill it. We have a dilemma. If Jesus touches the guy, he's a leper, Jesus becomes unclean. There is no record in either Luke's account or Mark's account, the, the mo two most definitive accounts of this event, there is no record that Jesus was unclean and had to go through some ceremonial cleansing event. Here's my theory. That when Jesus being filled with compassion at the man's words, if you're willing, Jesus thought, I'm willing. And that thought was enough to bring healing to the man. And Jesus, when he touched the man, didn't touch him to heal him, but touched him to prove that he was healed. Now, let me, let me take this a step further. I didn't do this last night, but let me take this a step further. Here's a, here's a, here's a very complex theological perspective. There are events in, in the work of salvation. How many have heard the term justification by faith? We are justified. God justifies us. He, in effect, says not guilty. There is some thought that there is a linear progression in events that justification occurs. God says, not guilty. And in declaring us not guilty, that leads to the event of regeneration. The actually being regenerated or born again. And I find it fascinating that there's very possibly a link here. And it's demonstrated in the healing of this leper. Now, most of you, you must go, so what? Because the whole point of healing this leper and the way Jesus does it is a testimony how God, when we come to him, if you read, first, if you read John's Gospel, chapter 1, verse 12, there's a hint of this. To as many who called on him, he gave them the right to become children of God. Do you see this? You can't call on him until you get some understanding that you need him. In that process, justification, then you're regenerated, you're made new. And I think that Jesus just does this. He just heals the guy and then touches him. Touching evidence of relationship. Now we're in relationship. Fascinating. Now, a theory. Just a theory. But I think there's something to it. You think about it. You read John 1.12. You read Paul's theological explanations and see if this maybe might not hold some water. He's willing. And Jesus cleanses the man. Now I have a question, another question.
We are now the body of Christ, are we not? And people come to us with tremendous need and say, Church, are you willing? Church, are you willing to help and meet this need? Is the church, by and large, in our very materialistically oriented society, filled with compassion? Saying, I am willing and ministering in powerfully significant ways to meet the needs of people? Some. Church, are you willing? Are you willing? Where do we draw the battle lines? Where do we draw the battle lines? Where do you draw them in your own life? You ask yourself that question. Am I willing? How willing am I to meet the needs of those around me? The ministry doesn't even have to be outside your home. The ministry can be right in your home. Am I willing? Am I willing to die to myself and reach out to this person who has heretofore been repulsive to me, caused me great grief? Am I willing to be an agent of healing and reconciliation in this setting? Am I willing? And your response, of course, is? I am willing. Yes, Lord. You have set me free that I may obey. Isn't that exciting? Isn't that exciting? I can tell you're thrilled. Some of you are going, oh, man. Now, something very interesting happens. Jesus sent the guy away at once with a strong warning. You would think that Jesus would want him to go to proclaim this testimony of his healing to everybody he could find. Would that not make sense? Yeah. I mean, wouldn't we do that? I mean, if you were all sitting healed of leprosy, if you, were, if you were dying of cancer and, and you just came to church and, and somebody just, you're sitting next to somebody and they just turn to you and say, you know, I think God just wants me to pray for you. And, and, and he's told me you have cancer. I want to pray for you right now. Would you like me to pray for you? Well, sure. I got nothing to lose. Pray for me. And you're in pain and agony and headachey and you know you got to, and all of a sudden just something happens to you and you know you're different. You know you're healed. Would you go tell people? Well, you go to your doctor first, right, just to double check. But you could probably hardly contain yourself, right? Jesus says, don't tell a soul. Why does Jesus say that, do you suppose? He tells him instead to go to the priest. Now, this is the priest in the local town there. That priest is the health inspector. Go to the priest, have him check you out. And if he declares you clean... He declares you clean. Go all the way down to Jerusalem now and offer the appropriate sacrifice. Now remember, they're way up in Galilee. That's a long journey. 
Go down to Jerusalem in the temple. This is the only place you could offer these sacrifices. Go down and offer the sacrifice Moses prescribed according to the Mosaic law. Offer this sacrifice. Go to the priest as a testimony to them. Now that word too can also be translated against. Should they not receive this testimony, then it becomes a testimony against them. Now there's another consideration here. Jesus does not want this guy going around and blabbing all over the place because he doesn't want people coming to him just for physical, material things. He wants them to understand who he is and what his message is. He is first and foremost, what? A teacher. He's trying to bring people to a knowledge of the truth. And if people are just clamoring for what they can get from him, I mean, after all, didn't he rebuke them? I mean, he, he saw this huge multitude of people, thousands of people, had compassion on them, took a little guy's lunch, multiplied it, fed the whole bunch out of compassion. And then later on, when they all followed him, he rebuked them. He stopped and rebuked them for what? He said, you're just coming after me for bread. That's all you want is bread. He knows the heart of people. He doesn't want this guy going out and spreading what I would term an unwise testimony. Because an unwise testimony leads people to Christ under false pretenses, false motivations, and sets them up for a huge, huge fall. Come to Jesus, and he'll make your life happy. <laughs> Come to Jesus, and he'll forgive you, and he'll give you a new life. But you also are going to be required to pick up your cross and follow him daily. And sometimes you ain't going to be happy. See, we've got to tell people the truth. If we just go out and blab, oh, Jesus did this and Jesus did that. Woo, I got my million dollars and I prayed and I hit the lottery and, you know, woo. People go, ooh, man, if I pray, if I come to Jesus, maybe I'll get the lottery too. When we ought to be telling people, here's our testimony. Here, here is, here's the testimony, I believe. We talk to people about Christ. We talk to them about their need for Christ on the basis of the fact that they're a sinner. My little boy, last, this last week, I, I came home, it was Wednesday night, I came home from Roots, I got home about 10, 30, quarter, 11. He was in his room, so I normally go in and, and just kind of pray with him and we read Proverbs and talk together a little bit before we go to bed. He had a neighbor kid over, sleepover. So they were, they were in there talking away and, and I said, what's going on? He said, shh, Dad. <laughs> I said, what's going on? He says, I'm telling him about God. I said, okay. So I, I closed the door, let him lead this little kid to Jesus. So a couple days later, we're talking about this. We're driving along, and I'm, he's in the car with me. We're just all alone. I said, uh, how'd you lead him to Jesus? 
I said, uh, did, you, did you help him understand what it meant to be he was a sinner and all that? He says, yeah, Dad, I told him the whole thing. <laughs> he said, I told him how he needed to be forgiven, that he was a sinner, and that if he didn't receive Jesus and the forgiveness that God gives through Christ, he'd spend eternity in hell. Wow. Whoa. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, I'm pretty good. <laughs> So our testimony must include those very salient points. Would you not agree? And then we tell people about our own testimony. What's our testimony? Our testimony is, you know, I came to Christ. I began to see and understand that I was a sinner. I needed God's forgiveness in my life. I couldn't just sweep under the carpet my sins and my guilt. I couldn't run and hide and ignore it anymore. I was guilty. There was only one place I could be forgiven. And I became a Christian, and I began to live a Christian life. I began to seek out after the Lord. I began to what? Seek first His kingdom and His righteousness. And then you know what? All the things that had concerned me in my life, all the things that I was worried about, all the things that, that I couldn't control and I couldn't make happen, He brought order into my life, and He began to make these things happen in my life. Do you suppose that would be a more appropriate testimony yes. than to just kind of go blabbing off at the mouth talking about blessings, 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 blessings? Mm -hmm. There are far, far too many people who are deceived by ignorant, unthinking Christians into becoming Christians, come to church, and Jesus will make your life happy. Jesus will fill you with joy, peace, patience. He'll transform your life if you follow him. If you cling to him. If you wait upon him. If you trust in him. If you hope in him. If he is your salvation. He'll do it. I was once a leper. I've been cleansed. I have a hope now that just surpasses all understanding. I have a confidence and a peace that rules my life. I'm excited for Jesus. I'm excited for his church. I'm excited for his kingdom. I'm excited by what he wants to do in our lives. I'm excited by the challenges that lay ahead. I'm willing. Are you willing? Are you willing? Are you willing to get down and get involved for the kingdom? Pray with me. God, I thank you that you are willing. You are willing to receive us, to forgive us, to cleanse us, to restore us. You're willing to fill our lives beyond our wildest imaginings. You're willing to make us your children. You're willing to give us an inheritance that we can't even comprehend. You're willing to manifest your presence, your grace and power in our lives. 
in this meager existence called life. You're willing. You're willing that we should come to you and talk with you, talk over our problems and our, our fears and our griefs, our sorrows. You're willing to listen. You're not busy running off and have this appointment and that appointment. You won't sit with us and listen. You're willing. You're willing to meet our needs. And you promised that as we press into your kingdom, as we seek out after you, as we give our lives away, you will meet our needs according to your riches in glory in Christ. Thank you for that great promise. Lord, thank you. Stir our hearts and give us a vision, O oh God, make us to be people who are likewise willing to run hard after you. To be willing when we see needs around us, when someone looks at us longingly, we don't look away, but rather that interpret that look as a question. If you're willing, you can help me that we would step out and offer our little lunch of fishes and loaves and you'd multiply it. Thank you. Thank you, God, that you're real. Thank you that you're mighty. Thank you that you're willing. Thank you. Bless the Lord.
bless his holy name. We praise.